0: You're listening to the magnum version of the Savage Love Cast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're
1: stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual
2: harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask
1: on the Savage Love Cast.
0: Hey, everybody, it's Dan, and I am phoning it in, literally phoning it in. From Italy, uh, where I am uh, doing a couple of speaking gigs this week, I'm sorry I can't be in the studio on Monday to record an opening for the show after the debate and after the surfacing this weekend of that horrible tape recording that ho- those horror that horrible video those comments Donald Trump made in which he admitted to sexually assaulting God only knows how many women. So I'm really sorry that I can't bring you a more up-to-date, up-to-the-minute opening of this week's show uh, because it's Sunday night here in Italy. The debate hasn't aired yet. I haven't been able to watch it. And tonight I'm going to be asleep during the debate, and tomorrow all day I'm flying home on Monday. So forgive me. I apologize. I do want to, though, for the top of the show, remind everyone about a New York Times story that ran back before Donald Trump – won the nomination. I don't know. It was about six months ago. And it was about how some liberals and some Democrats were salivating at the prospect of Donald Trump getting the nomination because he was going to be a drag on all other Republican candidates. He might sink not just the Senate for the Republicans, but cost Republicans the House and governor's races and maybe state houses and state senates. Disaster up and down the line for Republicans if Donald Trump got the nomination. And I'm a Democrat and a liberal and a progressive and a lefty, but I didn't want Donald Trump to get the nomination. And I said so on the Lovecast the first time I talked about that article because I feared the forces a Trump general election campaign would unleash, the poisons it would introduce into our political bloodstream. I said brown people would die if Donald Trump got the GOP nomination, and I was mocked on right-wing media, but brown people have been attacked and have died. Two examples, an interracial couple in Olympia, Washington, not too far outside of Seattle, stabbed in the street by a white supremacist supporter of Donald Trump, allegedly, and an imam in New York City and a friend of his were walking down the street, shot to death, also allegedly, by a supporter of Donald Trump. And that's not even talking about the white supremacism, the the anti-Semitism, the kind of hate speech and hatred, not speech, just fucking hatred, that the Trump campaign has normalized and promoted and legitimize. It's just appalling. So when I woke up Sunday morning before the debate, looked at the papers and saw that Republicans were abandoning Trump in droves and there were calls for him to drop out of the race, that he should step aside and let Mike Pence, his right-wing anti-choice, gay-hating conversion therapy supporting bigot running mate, the governor of Indiana lead the ticket. Despite what I said before about not wanting to see Donald Trump get the nomination, not wanting him to run, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope Donald Trump stays in the race because the toxins have been unleashed, the poison has been introduced, and we are suffering, and we should get what little benefit we can out of that, which is now what? Donald Trump sinking Republicans up and down the ticket. So... I hope he doesn't quit the race. I'm not even sure he can quit the race. Ballots are printed. Early voting has started in some states. He can promise not to serve. He can promise to step aside and let Mike Pence, bigot, take office in his place. But does anyone really believe that Donald Trump would be capable of stepping aside if Donald Trump stayed in the race and somehow now at this juncture managed to win? No, no, no. No, 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 no. I want him in to the end. I agree with Hillary or with Kate McKinnon's Hillary.
2: Now, since Mr. Trump's comments were so bad. So, so horrible, bad, just horrible, horrible. Do you think he should drop out? No, 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 give him a shot.
0: All right, there's so much more to talk about. I wish I could go on, but I need to get to bed so I can get back to Seattle and get back with you and Nancy and the Tech aviat Risk Youth live in the studio. Coming up in today's show, tons of your calls.
3: Hey, Dan. I am a 24-year-old woman living in the Bay Area. I recently got dumped and have been torn up about it. I've been trying to turn to my friends for counsel and recently they informed me that on my birthday several months ago, my ex tried to come on to one of my best friends and insinuate a threesome, which made her very uncomfortable. They had valid reasons for not telling me at the time. My question to you is, is this Something that I can forgive my ex for? We were all in my bed that night, on acid and drunk. He and I were blacked out, but my friend wasn't. She said that my ex insinuated a threesome and tried to put his arm around her, but it didn't go further than that, and he didn't do anything coercive. All of my friends have hated him for it, and I want to know if that's valid or fair.
0: I don't see how your forgiveness is required or really relevant or necessary. I also don't understand your anger or your friend's hatred. You're all piled up in a bed together, at least three, sounds like more, on acid and drunk and he put his arm around somebody and you keep saying he insinuated a threesome. I don't even know what that means. Initiated, attempted to initiate, proposed, suggested, insinuate, hinted at? gestured toward i don't get what you mean by insinuated a threesome and you mentioned that your friends who hate him for whatever it is he insinuated tell you that he didn't do anything coercive he just tossed it out there while he was drunk blackout drunk and high on acid in a pile of people on a bed who were also drunk and high on acid you know people get cuddly um Acid, And when they're drunk and sometimes things come out of their mouth, sometimes they insinuate or suggest or ask for things when they're fucking tripping. And it seems a little unfair to fault him for his actions that night, which amount to a great big pile of not very much, an arm around the shoulders and an insinuation of a possible threesome with you or someone else. I don't know who the third was supposed to be. And this isn't a question about whether you should dump this guy for what he did, that terrible thing he did that night on acid and drunk in your bed. It's a question about whether you should forgive him. Who gives a fuck? Don't forgive him. Never forgive him. Bear a grudge eternally and for the rest of your life. If it helps you cauterize the wound of having been dumped by this guy, which is probably what this is actually really about. If it helps you feel better about being rid of him to gin this up into, and I hate him, he's awful, then go right ahead and gin it up into, and I hate him, he's awful for what he did. If that makes you feel better about the relationship being over, which wasn't your choice, it was his choice. And if you're looking for something to get angry about, so you can look in the mirror and say you're well rid of him, it can be this. You do not have to forgive him because I'm telling you to. If it makes you feel better not to.
4: Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm a 35-year-old male living in Portland, straight. My, My question is this. My wife and I have found a way that really gets her excited when we're having fun. She doesn't like dirty talk. She likes me to tell her a story. I mean, like a full-on story. The problem I'm running into is when we're in the middle of having sex, it's hard for me to create a story for her to to hear. Um, it's just kind of hard to think at that point, to be honest. Any suggestions on that? I know she's not really into the the actual dirty talk, and I've used your advice before. The what I'm gonna do, what you're doing, this is what I'm doing to you. But I'm just having trouble coming up with full-on stories in the moment.
0: So what kind of stories does your girlfriend want to hear while you're fucking her?
4: She just wants a story of some sort. Like, she doesn't have anything specific. Like, she's just like, tell me a story. I'm like, what do you want to hear? She's like, "Eh, I don't really know. Just something fun. So I'll try to make up something like, hey, there's this girl. She's walking through the woods, and she meets a guy, and then they start having fun. You know, something like that. Or... Uh, it's just anything. I just, I'm just running out of ideas.
0: Oh my God. That's so random. And, and and a little, it is a
4: little bit. And
0: it's unfair of her actually, because of course you're going to draw a blank in the moment, particularly if you're the kind of person that when you have sex, you are present. And in the moment, there are people who, when they have sex, they're kind of not present, not in the moment that they are running a tape loop in their head. They're fantasizing while they're having the sex they fantasized about yesterday. They're fantasizing about the sex they might be having later with someone else or with you in another circumstance. That they kind of have to have a script going in their head to, 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 to be aroused. And if you aren't also that kind of person, if you're an in-the-moment type, that it can be very distracting. Particularly if it's not tell me a story about X, Y, and Z. It's tell me a story about anything. Go. That's, you're not an improv artist. She needs to date an improv troupe
4: difficult to come up with stuff and you know usually once i get something going it's just it's good and she's really into it she'll tell me what she likes and she'll tell me it was like well that's not really work for me try something else oh my god um, how awful but yeah just in the moment <laughs> this is grounds for divorce there are moments where it's like uh it's, well, it's not that bad but it gets it gets frustrating at times
0: can she tell a story or does she only want to hear them
4: i'm the more talkative one i'm definitely the more verbal of the the couple of Wait. of my yeah
0: here's my suggestion for you. First, a couple suggestions. One from the tech savvy at risk youth. When you're not fucking record some stories and then put headphones on her and play them for her while you fuck her. So she can listen to a story, but you don't have to be improving it in the moment. My suggestion would be for you to, to have an email exchange where you gin up some sexy stories on email, that exquisite corpse style. You send emails back and forth where you build on a story together so, that she has some engagement, some responsibility, and she helps shape them. So, you're less likely then to land on a story if she's like, That's not sexy. I don't think that's sexy. Try again, start over. Because who wants to hear that during sex? And then. Yeah, that you kind can, of kills it. Yeah, I bet it does. And then you can roll the stories out verbally and out loud and perhaps with some embellishment in the moment when you're fucking. So, you kind of have through email a little bit of rehearsal, but also some engagement. And responsibility on her part in creating these narratives that will help turn her on. And at a less fraught moment, not when you're hard and inside her, but when you're at work and you need a diversion or you guys are just sitting at your computers and other ends of the apartment and you want to flirt a little bit digitally, you can this way. And then you will have this archive, this narrative, your own dirty story, org at your disposal. Okay your own literatica that you've created together. Yeah, exactly. And then you'll know what works for her and you'll get a better sense of the kinds of stories that she wants to hear. But she's going to have to help shape them and have some input and take some responsibility for her own kink. And that's really kind of what this is. It's a low-grade kink, but it's a kink. And she needs to take some ownership over it and not just look at you and say, do this thing, this something. I need you to do this something without any direction or shape or guidance, that's not fair to you. That just sets you up for failure.
4: Yeah. So good luck. No, that's good. That helps. Thank you. I look forward to trying that and seeing what you said.
1: Hi, Dan. I'm a 30 year old female from Ontario, Canada, and I'm calling because recently I was contacted through Facebook by an unknown profile who wanted to let me know that my picture looked very similar to some pictures he found on adultfriendfinder.com. This person then sent me a link to the website and I found the profile with tons of naked photos of me, all of which I can connect back to one ex-boyfriend and he is the only one that would have these photos. I've contacted the police and got the police involved, but there's not much they can do. The profile has been taken down. But my big problem seems to be I can't seem to move past it. it. I almost wish I didn't know they were out there until I know that some of the photos had over 100,000 views. And I just... I'm imagining that they're everywhere and this was someone that I lived with, that I had a relationship with and I trusted and I know that we're supposed to know better, but I don't know how I can forgive myself for this or I move past it. Um, the biggest thing too is these pictures were pictures that were taken like six to eight years ago while I was in this relationship. They're not Recent photos, and I also have a fair amount of tattoos that make me highly recognizable. I just want some advice on how to move on from this and like go of it and continue on with my life and go back to I guess being blissfully ignorant of what's out there. Um, hopefully you can provide some advice that might calm me down a little. Thanks.
0: So. Dylan and Cole Sprouse were, they are these identical twins who starred in a Disney show, a Disney series, Disney TV show for a very long time called The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. So they were Disney stars. They were very wholesome. And one of them, Dylan, got caught up in a bit of a scandal after the series was over, but still his public image is Disney star. Because he shared some pictures that he took of himself, intimate pictures, naked pictures, naked selfies, because he he sexted with someone that he met online. And that person put all of Dylan's photos onto the internet, released them into the wilds of the internet. They're still rattling around out there somewhere. And Dylan was, of course, instantly leapt on by every awful celebrity gossip website and publication in the country. And there was this attempt to Shame him because this activity, being a sexual person, being an adult, as he was at the time, uh, was somehow in conflict with his image as a wholesome Disney star from this TV show. And Dylan released this statement that I think you would do well to look up and read and just sit with for a minute, where he wrote, amongst other things, the real problem here was not me sending my pictures to someone, but rather sharing them, sending them. To the wrong someone, the real travesty is a misplaced trust. So too with you, the travesty here is a misplaced trust. You have been violated, and it is very upsetting. I think you should go back to the fucking police, and I think you should ask them to look up Canada's revenge porn law because it doesn't sound like they're taking it or what has been done to you seriously. The revenge porn law in Canada, to the best of my knowledge. Looking it up online doesn't include a jail term for the asshole that you can identify who uploaded your videos, but it does include provisions that are punitive and that the cops should really be going after him about, including seizing the computer, cell phone, or other devices, quote unquote, used in the offense. You can get his computer, get your images off them, get his phone, get your images off them. And a court can order this person never to upload those images again. That said, they're out there. They're out there in the wild of the internet and there's no pulling them back. And you sound tormented by that. And I am sorry. And I don't know what to tell you other than we will all be with you there someday soon. Increasingly hackers are accessing, it seems, just about everything. You're in the same boat that Leslie Jones from Saturday Night Live is in that Orlando Bloom is in, that Jennifer Lawrence is in, that Brad Pitt is in. There are naked pictures of Brad Pitt from 20 years ago that are still online that were taken and released without his consent or his knowledge. Sometimes I fantasize about a day in the future, like an Arbor Day every year, where everybody just releases a few dirty images of themselves online, a few naked, sexed images, so as to make it. Kind of a big nothing non-issue that some people have these images out there. Maybe we should all just have these images out there because everyone's taking these pictures. Everyone carries around a little porn production studio in their pockets. Everybody sexts these days. Not everybody is then in turn victimized by a shitty ex who deserves the full brunt of the law falling down on his head. And you should go back to those cops who told you there was nothing they could do because they're not telling you the truth and go back with a lawyer, at least for your peace of mind, talk to a lawyer. It won't pull the images back, but it might give you some sense of satisfaction, justice, and closure. If the person who did this to you gets a visit from the police who take his fucking computer away, that won't undo the damage of those photos being out there. But I know if I were in your shoes, it would make me feel better to know that that person Who had done that horrible thing to me had been punished to some extent to whatever extent the law allowed and right now it sounds like you're feeling shame and you need to just decide to not feel that just tell yourself you're not going to feel that because you have nothing to be ashamed of you don't have to be ashamed of your body you don't have to be ashamed of the photographs that you took of your body you don't have to be ashamed of the trust that you misplaced. The only person who has something to be ashamed of is the person who put the pictures of you on the internet without your consent. He has something to be ashamed of. You have nothing to be ashamed of. So what do you do beyond that with the knowledge that these pictures are out there, that they've been viewed by many people? A couple of things. You tell yourself that people don't have photographic memories and that pictures that people looked at years and years ago are not pictures that they can instantly recall. You tell yourself that there's always more and more images piling up online and pictures disappear, not because they can't be found, but because they just get diluted watered down. They're just one tiny digital image in a sea of digital images in a universe of billions really of digital images. And you tell yourself that it's not the end of the world, that worse things have happened to people. And you tell yourself that anyone who looks at you, anyone who connects you to those photos and judges you is no one that you want anything to do with because you were the victim. You did nothing wrong. You did what millions and millions of other people are doing with their lovers, sharing these kinds of images. And the only mistake you made like Dylan Sprouse was sharing these images and creating these images with the wrong person. The travesty here is not that you have a body and that you have tattoos and that you've taken naked pictures of your body with someone you thought you could trust. The travesty here was the violation Of your trust. And if you're worried about being judged, you're worried about people thinking less of you, do the mental jujitsu where you are judging them in turn, and they are shitty people. Anyone who would judge you for what was done to you, for the way that you were victimized, is an asshole who doesn't deserve your regard, doesn't deserve a thought from you, doesn't deserve a moment of your time or attention or focus or anything. They are people that you can dismiss out of hand. Time heals all wounds. Give this time and look around. Look around at all the people out there who've been in your shoes. Leslie Jones, brutally violated by online hackers who dumped private photographs of her onto the internet. She made an appearance at the Emmy where this incident was joked about, but she was not the butt of the joke. The hackers... They were the butt of the joke. They are the assholes. Not Leslie Jones, not you.
5: Hi, Dan.
6: I am a 30-year-old female living on the East Coast and I'm married. I have a question regarding female orgasm, the muscles that contract during female orgasm. My husband says that when I'm on top of him and I'm about to orgasm, his muscle contractions are too intense, but it hurts his penis almost so much that we can't continue. It's quite disappointing for me, and I think he also feels pretty bad about it. I've done a lot of research on the Internet, and I can't really seem to find any solid answer for why this pain might be happening to him. It doesn't seem like a common problem. And I'm wondering if anyone else has experienced the same problem and called in to ask you about it.
0: Angle matters and contractions uh, for a woman during orgasm can change the angle of a vaginal canal, it can constrict it. Also, if you're bearing down, if you're changing the position of your body, perhaps without intent, perhaps without even any awareness that that's what you're doing, it can wrench his dick around in a way that for him may be uncomfortable You can accommodate this or control for it by switching up a a bit of the angle. Get some of those bolsters that they sell, sex bolsters, so that he can be in a position where his back may be supported in a slightly different way so his dick is in you when you're on top in a slightly different way. If that doesn't help, then you're just going to really have to listen to the feedback that your partner is giving you and not fuck him in a way that hurts him. It's the same advice I would give to him if he were calling with a question about coming inside you in a way that you find painful. I wouldn't say to him, oh, she's lying, or she's making it up, or I haven't heard of this before, so it must not be a thing. Listen to your partner. It's a thing for him. When you climax or something about the angle of your vaginal canal, the angle of his penis, only in that position, something about the angles and something about your vaginal contractions, that's painful for him. So that position is going to have to be tweaked. You're going to have to reangle yourselves in that position so he doesn't experience that discomfort, or you're going to have to abandon that position.
5: Hi, Dan. Um, I am a 27-year-old straight female, and I've been in a relationship with a man that I love dearly for about four years now. My question to you was, I have previously tried anal sex before, I have tried it with my partner that I have currently. Um, I have done it before with other people. My question, I guess, would be, I haven't done it in about three years, and I recently purchased some butt plugs online. And we've been talking about using them, and I guess I'm kind of nervous and scared that I won't like it anymore or I might like it and he might not um, we're a very sexually open couple but I kind of like your advice on how to go about adding this to our love life where it wouldn't be awkward I guess I'm not very good with awkwardness and trying out new things although I am very open to trying new things and So I just kind of want your advice
0: on this. You say you're not open to awkwardness and then you say you are open to trying new things. And I'm curious how that works. There's nothing new that I've ever tried in my entire life. Not just sexual things, anything, nothing new I've ever attempted that wasn't at the start somewhat awkward. That didn't involve some degree of awkwardness or face planting or fucking up or failing. There's always awkwardness. I'm a really good snowboarder. I was super awkward that first week up on the slopes. I could not do it. I was falling fucking down and feeling so conspicuous and so awkward and I was miserable and just had to power through it to get to the fun of now snowboarding like I know what I'm fucking doing. The same thing with anal. The same thing with this interaction with your boyfriend that you're going to have. Go to him and say – and blush and feel awkward and shy and say – Used to do some butt play, always liked it. Got us some butt plugs to keep things sexy and spicy and fun. And here they are. And if he freaks out, then maybe he's not the right boyfriend for you. Maybe he just needs to have a freak out. You can let him have a freak out and storm away, and he'll come back later after having sat with it for a while and realize that maybe this is something he wants to try. Folks, remember when you Throw something new at someone, not initiate it, just propose it. You don't want to scare people to death or leave people feeling violated. But sometimes when you say, I'd like to do X or I'd like to try Y or I got this toy, people will have a reaction that's not about you and it's not about shame. It's just about the sex negativity that permeates our culture and permeates each of us. And they will have this reaction without thinking about it where it feels shamey. It feels like they're shaming you and doing that to you to make you feel bad. And it's really just – Sex negativity leaving the body. And sometimes you just have to let that person have their little like shame brain fart and out comes the, oh my God, butt plugs. Why would you get butt plugs? And just don't shut down at that moment. Just power through the awkwardness of that moment and say, I got butt plugs because they're fun and you have your little freak out about it and let's talk about it later. Let's go snowboarding. Let's go bowling. Let's go have a drink. Let's go do this. And then you can return to the subject when they're feeling calm, when they've had some time to think on it and process it. The first present I ever got, Terry, shortly after we met, was, caller, a butt plug. And you know what he did? Well, we were at a bar and his friends were there and he opened the box and there was a butt plug in it because we'd been messing around for a few months. And I was like, you need a butt plug. You would love a butt plug. And I gave him a butt plug and he opened the box and his friends saw it and he slammed the box shut and kind of freaked out and was really embarrassed and wasn't totally happy with me. But he still had his best behavior because we were still in the honeymoon phase. And... What happened after he had his little freak out, after he could have, if I was a different person, made me feel bad in that moment about getting him a butt plug a few hours later? That plug was in him. So show him the butt plug. Tell him why you got it. If he has a freak out, don't you freak out in turn. Just bide your time. And that butt plug or those butt plugs that you ordered will be in you or they'll be in him or they'll be in both of you
7: Hi, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old straight woman from Michigan. I just found out my agreed-upon monogamous husband cheated with another man. He says just once, but I can't trust him. I know cheating happens all the time in most relationships, and I think I could get past that. But when I met him, he was my gay best friend. After a year of close friendship, he told me he's actually bi and in love with me. Flash forward six years later, we're married, and he cheats. There had also been online chats and photo swaps for a while. And after he cheated, he emotionally abused me for six months. I started going to therapy, and I was working on it when he just recently told me about the infidelity. Should I leave him? Is this the cherry on top of him being a shitbag? Is he gay? I have so many questions.
0: I don't know if your husband's gay or not, but your husband told you before you got married that he was bi. That doesn't excuse the infidelity if he'd made a monogamous commitment to you. More importantly, and and on another subject, there's no excuse for the emotional abuse, for six months of emotional abuse. When someone behaves that way, and it's funny that you say that he abused you emotionally for six months and you went to therapy to work on that. I hope you don't mean that you thought his abuse of you was your fault or something that you were doing. Maybe you're going to therapy to find some support as you worked on what you could do about your fucking awful abusive husband. But somebody who does that, somebody who engages in that kind of emotional abuse is pushing you away and or and slash or doesn't deserve you. I typically think when I see someone who's emotionally abusive or just generally shitty to their spouse that they want out of the marriage, but they don't have the decency or the courage or the ovaries to end it themselves. So they make themselves intolerable. And then that other person leaves them and they can swan around playing the victim, that they were the one who got left and they should be the focus of everyone. all your shared friends' sympathy because you walked out on him, not vice versa, but you walked out on him because he was being awful. But you see most concerned or one of your primary concerns is, is he gay? And I can't answer that question. He was gay identified when you met him. He told you he was bi. You've been married to him for a long time. Presumably in that time, you guys had a sex life. You're in a much better position than I am to make a determination about his sexual orientation or the best guess about his sexual orientation. You were having sex with him. Was he present or was he emotionally absent and detached during sex? Were you having sex? Was he eating your pussy? Were his eyes clamped shut when you guys were having sex? He was clearly somewhere else with some gay porno tape loop spooling through his head so that he could get through heterosexual sex with you. Was he – being intimate with you and connected to you, or was he masturbating inside you? You're in a much better position to answer the question or make a better guess, a more informed guess than I could about his true sexual orientation. And you can speculate and I can speculate. I think I just spent two or three minutes speculating, but what we know for sure is that you got to get out of this marriage because he's an emotionally abusive, cheating asshole. Somebody who is emotionally abusive. I think you shouldn't put up with and you should leave. Somebody who's cheated once that's something that you can get past. You can Hillary Clinton your way through that. If you're with somebody and they made a monogamous commitment and they cheat, maybe that person only knows now that they're incapable of honoring a monogamous commitment and therefore they shouldn't have made one in the first place. And if you can then stay with that person, you might have to renegotiate the, the terms. You might have to agree to some sort of monogamous relationship or an open relationship or non-monogamous relationship. That may be your price of admission for staying with that person. If that's not a price of admission you're willing to pay, then you should go and make a monogamous commitment to someone else who in turn, statistically speaking, is highly likely to cheat on you at some point also.
8: Hi, Dan. I'm a tech savvy at Risk Youth. I'm calling on behalf of my brother and hoping to get a little guidance how to help him. Uh, he has been in a 10 plus year marriage, two kids. The kids are great. I love them. He and his wife have been rather miserable for many years, and it's apparent to everybody. And he used to seek advice from me and other family members, what to do, how to deal with it. He's not sure how much longer he can do this, et cetera. And we gave him all the advice we could think of. I mean, it seem like they've been on the brink of divorce for several years, but he's determined to keep the marriage together until his kids are out of the house, Um, which is still a bunch more years. And I just, I hate seeing my brother so desperately unhappy, but he's terrified of losing the kids. If they divorce and seeing them like once or twice a month, he's he's convinced that's what's going to happen because that's where he lives. And he thinks that's just how the law is going to work against him and that he as the father will just, only get to see them once in a long time, even though I don't think he's actually ever spoken to a lawyer, even though I've told him and other people have told him, say, hey, please talk to a lawyer, see what your options are. Um, I don't think he ever has, but it's been a while since he asked any advice. He seems to have just withdrawn into himself and doesn't bother seeking advice anymore or even complaining, using our shoulders to cry on or anything. It's, it's just painful to watch this, and I want to help him. And I don't know how else I can. And I just, I, I hate that he feels like he should put his life and his happiness on hold until his kids are grown. It's so many more years for him to be unhappy. And I just, I was hoping maybe you had some outside guidance.
0: Does your brother want to leave his wife as badly as you want him to leave his wife?
8: Hmm. Interesting question. Um,
0: Because I don't think he's going to leave her until he wants to leave her as much as you want him to leave her.
8: Right. No, yeah, absolutely. It's it's entirely his decision, and I'm well aware of that. Um, What I want is for him to find some sort of peace, Mm -hmm. either stay in his marriage and find a way to make it pleasant for everyone, or leave.
0: I I think i got to read on what the problem here is. Your brother's in this miserable situation, and he's making everyone else miserable, too, by constantly bitching at you guys about it. Right? Um, Does he complain constantly about his awful marriage and his awful wife and and unload on you guys?
1: He
8: did, until he kind of finally got the picture that we were all telling him the same thing Mm -hmm. over and over and over again, and he has since pulled away and doesn't really talk to much of any of us at all much
0: anymore. Well, that's bad. If he's isolating himself, that's bad. I think you guys should make an effort to reach out to him and engage with him. But I do think, you know, we've Mm -hmm. all had friends or or relatives who are in terrible relationships who come to us over and over again, tell us all the terrible things that are still happening that are exactly the same as all the terrible things that have always been happening. And we're just expected to sit there and like empathize endlessly. And at some point you have to say, look, stay or go. You know that's what I think you should do is go. Go is what you should do. Go is what I'm going to tell you to do. But at some point, if you're going to stay, you have to stop complaining about your lot because you've chosen to stay and I'm sick of hearing about it. But that doesn't mean I'm sick of talking to you or seeing you. I want to talk to you. I want to see you. And maybe we can have like 10 dedicated minutes each visit where you can like vent about the wife, but then we have to change the subject because there's only so much I can take.
8: That's a good plan. So
0: I think if he's isolating himself now because he feels like he's worn out his welcome with you guys emotionally, you guys, you and other family members need to reach out to him and reestablish that bond.
8: Right. Um, I don't know if he feels like he's worn out his welcome more like he just gets frustrated by being told the same thing over and over again. Like we love you, or get off the pot, but we can't keep telling you the same thing over and over for years and years. Mm-hmm. And so he just gets more defensive and caged in and, Pushes
0: us away so yeah well in that case what i think you need to do is what i already told you to do like give him 10 minutes and say here's your vent time right. vent and then you know what i think you should do and now let's move on because it is awful it's like somebody saying oh my house is on fire and you're saying you might want to put some water on that and them going ah my house is on fire right. and they're getting angry at you because you keep suggesting maybe throwing some water on that but if he's truly trapped and that's not irrational. His fear, even if he goes and talks to a lawyer, it's not irrational that he will see a lot less of his kids. That that economically, it may be very difficult for him and his wife to divorce at this point. It's always interesting how during recessions divorce rates plummet because people can't afford it. Divorce is a luxury item. Mm. And if they're
8: yeah, and they live in a high cost of area, high cost of living area.
0: Well, there you go. And so that might mean having to live so far away from his kids that he's not going to see them logistically it's going to be even more problematic than just visitation or every other week or weekends or whatever it might be. And that might be traumatizing for his kids. And so long as the trauma of this marriage or the conflict in this marriage isn't spilling over and traumatizing the kids. It is. Well, if that's the case, he should probably go. (laughs) But he knows that. And you guys have said that.
8: Yeah. The kids have, have, Yeah, they've reported,
5: you know, mommy
0: and daddy yell at each other, and uh, it's not good. Well, uh, the yelling at each other out of all proportion is an unreasonable amount of yelling. I'd like to find a couple raising kids who don't yell at each other at least once
5: in a while. Yeah,
8: obviously, but I mean, I I don't even know if they're civil to each other.
0: That's awful. Yeah. you talk to kids of divorce, you, you talk to kids whose parents didn't get divorced who'll tell you, from high-conflict marriages that they wish their parents had gotten divorced. You hear from kids whose parents stayed together for them, who will tell you in adulthood you wish they'd separated. Right. But they don't know how it would have gone if their parents had separated because you can't run that tape backwards and then replay it.
8: Right.
0: And so they didn't have to deal with the two separate homes or the separate Christmases or the conflict that might be built into mom and dad tearing it all apart. Right. It can be hard to say. And I think you should reach out to your brother. Don't let him be isolated. Acknowledge the elephant in the room. Like you're pulling away because you're sick of us being frustrated with your tale of woe and our advice for you. And you're not being willing to take it. So let's just acknowledge that that's going to be a stone in the shoe for our relationship, but let's not let our relationship mm-hmm. die because there's this issue. There's this is problem. There's this constant thrum. Let's just hang out. You take your 10 minutes, you vent, I'll listen I will pro forma ritualistically tell you what I think you should do, knowing that you're not going to do it. And then let's talk about the election. Mm. Let's talk about religion. (laughs) Let's talk about something less contentious than your marriage. Mm.
8: Yeah. (laughs) Good luck. (sighs) Thank you.
0: It's a hard thing to be a part of. It's a hard thing to watch happen to someone you love. I've been there. Thank you for your advice. You're welcome. Good luck.
9: Hey, Dan, I am a 25 year old lesbian woman. And I actually have a quick question. So I met the love of my life six months ago, we kind of U-hauled,
10: and we got
9: married. That's actually not the problem. I absolutely love her more than anything. The problem that we're running into is that she is not very sexually experienced, and I am. And I normally have no qualms about talking about my sexual experiences, well, whenever I go to sort of like try and teach her and talk to her about my fantasies and things like that, I kind of feed off of the awkwardness that she has, and then I get awkward and I clam up. And I'm trying to figure out a way around that, a way to sort of defy that, if that makes any sense. But Definitely, I would love an answer to that just to solve that awkwardness.
0: There's some radical queers out there who think same-sex marriage shouldn't be legal, who oppose the movement for marriage equality. And its uh, I disagree with them passionately. I've argued with them endlessly. But occasionally, I get a call like yours and I think, yeah, I kind of wish same-sex marriage wasn't legal because then you wouldn't be married at six months to a woman that you barely know. I don't care how much you love her. You don't really know someone Well enough six months in to commit to them for life. And there's a problem here and there's a very serious problem here with this disconnect sexually, not just the differing sexual experience, but the differing attitude and positioning around sex. You're very sexually experienced. It sounds like you would like to be sexually open. There's something about her that feels judgy and shamey. It's not just awkward. You try to share your sexual interests, your sexual experiences, your sexual fantasies, and something emanates from her that shuts that down. Right now it feels like a small problem because there's so much else that you love about this person you barely know that you're already married to. But that is the kind of thing that over time can reveal itself to be a fundamental and basic and disqualifying sexual incompatibility. And you need to run that to ground now before you... Adopt a child in two weeks or whatever else you might be planning to do prematurely. You need to run that to ground now. You need to say to her, I want to be able to share my sexual fantasies with you. We are each other's sex partners, presumably exclusive sex partners. And we need to be able to speak openly about this stuff. And I get this, like you get this look on your face that makes me shut up. Maybe she's not aware she has resting shame face when the subject of sex comes up. She's not even aware she's doing it. If you bring it to her attention, it'll just be some cultural sex negativity that she needs to burn out. And she will laugh it off and tell you when she makes that little squished, scrunched face, when you start to talk about your fantasies that you're to ignore it or point at it and laugh and go on. And you guys can power through it and And it won't be a problem. But if in that moment she tells you, when you tell her, like, you do this thing and it makes me feel inhibited, it makes me feel not free and open with you sexually, and I need to feel that way with my wife. If what you get from her is sex is icky and gross and I disapprove of your past, of the experiences that you've had, of the sexual fantasies that you're attempting to share with me and I want to shut that down, you might want to talk to the lesbian pope about a lesbian annulment. Because I predict over time that, that will get worse unless she is willing to work on it and work on herself to keep and win you. She needs to come up to your level of sexual openness, not she has to share all your sexual fantasies, she has to do anything that you want, she has to smile on anything you've ever done, but she has to be open and receptive and affirming in a way, even if she's not in for everything that you might want to do. And if she can't get there, this is not going to work. This is a cancer that eats relationships and kills them. So congrats on your marriage. Get to work on this because if you can fix this and everything else is working, if you can fix this, you will save your marriage. If you can't fix this, if this is unfixable, call the lesbian Pope.
11: Hi, Dan, I'm a late 20 something living in the Midwest. My boyfriend of two years and I are going to be moving in together shortly. And I'd love your advice. My boyfriend has a cat and a dog, and when we first started dating, I made it very clear that I am not a dog person. He said he understood, and he didn't foresee any problems. Currently, we each live with our parents, and the dog resides at his family home. I have been ready to move out and have been in the process for over a year of finding a new place due to some realtor hiccups. My boyfriend was always privy to my search, and I made it clear that although I was making this big purchase and move, that he didn't have to move in if he wasn't comfortable. We looked at a few places, having offers fall through, and having a bad realtor experience. I picked the search back up recently and kept him involved. When the dog began to be brought up, I said I wasn't super comfortable with her coming with us, unless the layout of the house made for this. She is afraid of stairs, and at eight years old, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. After presenting numerous options of houses with fenced-in backyards, he told me that he wouldn't be bringing the dog because his cat, who isn't associated with the dog, would not get along with it. He told me that he would pick the cat over the dog any day, not that I asked him to do so, and told me that I should be looking into condos again so that I could find some place that I was comfortable. I put in an offer on a condo and all went well with us possibly closing as early as next week. I thought we were in the clear, but now as his nerves get amped up to move out, he is trying to tell me that the dog cannot be left with his parents. His relationship with his parents is rocky and the dog has always been a point of contention between them. His parents refuse to adhere to our training and weight loss program as well as some other things. He's saying that they are demanding for her to go with him, and while I understand his hesitation about leaving her, the condo I purchased is simply not large enough for an overweight beagle. His parents would be less than 15 minutes down the road, but he is acting as though he can never go back once he moves out. On top of it all, he has severe Crohn's disease, and if he was unable to take the dog out to go potty, she will not let me take her out. This is causing a major rift between us, And while I gave him the option of not moving in right away, he is adamant that he wants to, but the dog situation has to be figured out. The only other person who could take her is his sister and her boyfriend, but they are not getting their place for at least a year. I'd love your advice, Dan.
0: You move into your condo. He continues to live at home with his parents and his, sounds awful, dog. And then when his sister moves into her new place, 12 short months from now you can revisit whether or not you still want him to move into your condo with you and his cat. We're going to take a quick break from your calls to have a conversation with Dr. Marty Klein, a licensed marriage and family therapist, author of seven books, frequent guest on the Lovecast, and his latest book is His Porn, Her Pain, Confronting America's Porn Panic with Honest Talk about Sex. Hey, Dr. Klein, how are you doing?
10: Nice to talk to you again, Dan.
0: Nice to talk to you, too. This question... The framing of your book, your title, His Porn, Her Pain. Some people are going to take issue with that because there are women out there who watch porn, but I have to say that almost all the questions I get about porn from women are not, this is the kind of porn I like, and porn's not a problem, and help me with this. It's always, he watches porn, it makes me feel bad, I don't feel like I'm enough for him, how do I get him to stop watching porn? That this is just perennial, that conflict and that problem, that his porn causes her pain.
10: Her pain, right.
0: Why is that? Why, why can't we get past that? I feel like I've been answering this question for 25 years.
10: <laughs> well, I, I think the reason this keeps being a question is because people are not talking honestly with each other about sex, and it's a lot easier to quarrel about porn than it is to talk about sex honestly, to talk about why don't we have sex anymore, to talk about why don't you uh, look at me when we have sex? Why don't you kiss me when we have sex? Uh, why is the sex so different now than it was five years ago? And I think if, if people talked more honestly about sex, they wouldn't spend a lot of time talking about porn.
0: So what you're suggesting is that people, sex is a problem in their relationship and rather than deal with that honestly, they point to this outside force and say porn is the problem in our relationship.
10: Yes, I I, I certainly see that all the time. Now, some people do other things, you know, instead of talking about sex, they fight about money or instead of talking about sex, they fight about the kids. Um, But porn is definitely one of the things that people fight about rather than talking uh, about sexuality with each other.
0: I got a letter just a few weeks ago at Savage Love from a woman who is in a, I think, 12 or 15 year marriage. They have two kids. Uh, They have porn four or five times a week, which for a married couple with two kids seems remarkable to me and she wrote in because her husband occasionally watches porn occasionally jacks off and she felt that that meant there was something inadequate about their sex life and my point to her was the proof that your sex life is awesome and adequate is running down your legs four times a week for fuck's sake that's (laughs) i don't see why porn is a problem except to the extent that you're making it a problem but i do also hear from people where the sex has died and their partner is sneaking off in the middle of the night to masturbate to pornography. Not always the male partner, sometimes the female partner. And right. porn has become this substitute or crowded out in their mind intimacy.
10: Can it not be? In do their that? mind. In, right. in their mind. That's the key. In their mind. I mean, nobody abandons a perfectly robust sex life for a life of masturbating to porn. So if someone has withdrawn from their sexual relationship and then they create a life around masturbating to porn that makes perfect sense other people they abandon the sex life with their partner and they go become the president of the PTA or the local church uh, but it's not but when people think oh you're masturbating to porn and that's why you've withdrawn from me sexually that makes no sense whatsoever and in real life it doesn't happen
0: is porn a drug you hear this now, porn is the new drug, well, fight the new drug, and porn activates pleasure centers of the brain that partnered sex cannot, and people are becoming addicted to porn. Is that actually a thing that people need to worry about?
10: Of course porn activates pleasure centers in the brain. If anybody is looking at porn and their brain is not lighting up, that's the person that I worry about. <laughs> Why the hell are you looking at it? Is it for the music or the costumes or what, right? Right. So of course looking at porn is a pleasurable for people for whom it's a pleasurable activity of course their brain is going to light up and of course it lights up the same way that your brain lights up when you cuddle your grandchildren or you do a line of coke or you watch a sunset We're all or you three see at once. The Seattle. <laughs> yeah yeah so um It's only only addictive uh, if you believe that any repetitive activity that people keep doing despite the consequences is addictive. And if you believe that that's the definition of addiction, then every person on earth is addicted because the human condition is to make decisions whose consequences aren't always the ones that we hope for. But if you look at addiction as a change in the body's ability to metabolize a substance. And if you look at addiction in terms of what happens when you take the substance away, when you take away the the morphine, when you take away the nicotine, when you take away the alcohol of an addict, their body goes into horrible shock. They have tremors. They throw up. Their vision changes. Their hands tremble. I mean, it's terrible. That doesn't happen when you take away porn from people. What happens if you take away porn from people is they get crabby. (laughs) And that's a lot different.
0: Or they have to use their imaginations again.
10: Yeah, which would not be necessarily a bad thing. Or they have to focus more on the physical stimulation of the masturbation, which I think a lot of people would be better off if they did that. But but of course, that's true during partner sex also. I think a lot of people who complain that partner sex is kind of so-so, I think it's because they're not paying enough attention to their sensorium. They're not paying enough attention to how does my partner's hair smell? How does my partner's uh, you know, actually feel underneath my fingertips? A lot of people are not paying enough attention to the physical aspects of sex when they have sex.
0: So his porn, her pain, how, when porn is the problem in the relationship or porn is what people are pointing to and and accusing it of being the problem in the relationship, how do you help that couple diffuse that bomb?
10: Well, I I ask people, you, you know, getting somebody to stop watching porn is a solution to a problem. And I want to know what's the problem. So like in the call that you just mentioned, here's this woman, they're having sex four times a week, and she's complaining that he jacks off to porn. She says it makes her feel inadequate. It makes her wonder if the sex is good enough. So I would ask her, so... What are you doing about the fact that you feel inadequate? You know, other than trying to solve this problem by getting him to change his behavior when he's not with you, what what are you doing to solve this problem in terms of building up your own sense of adequacy or confidence or talking to him about how do I know that you love sex with me? And of course, you know, there's one obvious answer, which is that the guy keeps doing it, right? But you know, is the guy smiling when they have sex? Does he use the, the right name when you have sex? Does he initiate the sex? Does he say, wow, I'm really glad we're doing this? So what I wanna know with a person like, th- like this woman who you referenced is, what is she doing to address her own sense of insecurity? And if the answer is, oh, I'm not doing anything, I just want him to do something different when I'm not around. I mean, that's not a good solution to life's issues in general when we feel uncomfortable.
0: Can porn be a problem, though? You know, I've heard from people, and maybe it's apocryphal, but I've actually gotten this question, too, from people who are having sex with a partner who cannot get hard unless they're watching porn while they have sex with their partner. Porn is playing on their phone, on their on their iPad, on the television set, in the bedroom, and their focus is the porn as they kind of jack off inside this other human being. Can porn right. ever be right. a problem? Would you ever tell somebody, like, you gotta go cold turkey, you gotta knock it no,
10: off? I would ne- no, I would never say that, because I think that's solving the problem on the wrong level. Um, once a person has gotten to that point where porn really is a substitute for real life, Um, Just saying, get rid of the porn, that doesn't address why and how they've withdrawn from real life. When you get people who have done that, who have withdrawn from real life and live in a porn world, first of all, typically they're young. You don't get a lot of 53-year-old guys who do this. Typically, they're young. And typically, the digital world is a world in which they're very comfortable, maybe even more comfortable than what you and I might call, quote-unquote, real life. Um, So... I see, I see guys in my office who, they're mostly guys, who, uh, they are more comfortable having sex with a partner when there's porn running because it allows them to focus their imagination. And what, and, and my question is, How is it that you're not focusing on what's going on underneath your fingertips, underneath your nose, underneath your eyes with this real-life human being? That's a problem that's almost certainly much bigger than porn. That's a problem where a person relates to the digital world much more easily than to real life. And so what we do is we start from scratch and we say, let's talk about your discomfort with real life. Let's talk about feeling anxious that you won't get it up unless you're looking at porn. And if you're anxious that you won't get it up unless you're looking at porn, there's two ways to deal with that. One is to keep porn running. The other is to deal with your anxiety and be done with it once and for all. Um, Your anxiety about talking to a real life person, your anxiety about someone saying to you, honey, would you move your hand a little bit more to the left or honey, would you slow down a little bit. When people are anxious about engaging in those kinds of fundamental human interactions, taking away the porn is not going to help that. What, need, what we need to do is we need to talk to with that person about how do you get more comfortable managing in real life, whether it's about sex or anything else.
0: Can you stick around for a couple of questions? Because I got a couple of good ones.
10: Oh, I'd be happy to.
0: Hello.
8: I'm, as I identify as straight or by female in my late 20s. I'm calling because I find it super erotic to watch pornography where straight identified men are being anally penetrated by other men. And my question is, is there something wrong with me? Like why do I find it pleasurable to see Men that normally like wouldn't enjoy this being penetrated by other men that do enjoy this. I don't know. This is confusing for me. And I guess that I have read or listened to you long enough where there's a lot of straight-ish women who enjoy gay porn, but I don't understand why uh, this category is something that is erotic to me. Is there something wrong with me?
0: So, here we have a question that's not from a woman who isn't watching porn. This is from a woman who is watching porn, and her pain isn't that her partner's watching porn. Her pain is her confusion about why this particular kind of porn turns her on. Any advice for her?
10: Well,. There's two issues, you know, one is why does this porn turn me on? And the answer is uh, without doing 47 sessions of therapy, I don't know. But the more important question, the much more important question is, is there something wrong with me that I like this kind of porn? And the answer is no, there's, of course, this does not indicate that there's anything wrong with you. People get turned on by a wide, wide range of things, some of which delight us, some of which confuse us, and... Some of which we wouldn't have predicted. Who would have predicted that I would get off watching porn of kangaroos? And yet, I do. <laughs> do you? Not me personally, Dan. <laughs> Not me personally. I should say you. Who would have predicted, Dan, that you would get off watching porn of kangaroos? But you do. But um, I don't. But go on. I, I, I don't think. I don't think we need to worry. I don't think we need to worry about uh, the literal content of the porn that we're watching. Unless it's horribly violent and um, and and really uh, brutal, and that's not what's going on uh, in this woman's life. The vast majority of porn that people watch is just a bunch of people having sex, and um, sometimes they play dominance and submission games, and sometimes they don't. Um, I mean, this doesn't people... sound this doesn't
0: sound brutal, but there is kind of a violation no. here. It's a straight guy getting ah. fucked in the ass, for, and she enjoys as a straight woman watching that. Inversion, watching that taboo be broken, watching that stranger's ass be busted open. So there is, there's not, I don't think there's violence necessarily in this, but there is transgression.
10: Well, there's a, there's a big difference and I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, transgression is one of the most popular themes of human sexuality. I mean, uh, human sexuality involves people permeating each other's boundaries by definition. Um, And human sexuality, Um, we're always trying to find the sweet spot, the balance between we all want sex to be predictable and safe and comfortable, and we all want sex to be novel and unpredictable and exciting. And everybody is trying to find the balance for them that works. And that's the big problem with monogamy, and that's why monogamish is such a great concept. So people are trying to find... How much transgression can I have in my sexual arena, but I still feel safe? And of course, fantasy and pornography is a great way to do that. So I'm not at all surprised that this woman enjoys um, consuming porn that features transgression. Some people like the transgression that they can identify with themselves literally, like if I'm a woman, that I'm watching a woman being violated. Other people, they like to see the transgression in some other way, either the characters in the porn don't have privacy, the characters in the porn are the wrong age or the wrong gender, adults only, of course. Some people like the transgression um, to, to take various forms, and one of which is, it's people who are violating gender norms and people who maybe are being pushed to do stuff that they didn't think they were going to like or that they didn't ask for originally but so
0: but almost always in porn are then shown getting into and liking and enjoying
10: Right, which I think is sort of the way that the story kind of wraps up, kind of like the 22-minute sitcoms that most of us are used to.
0: (laughs) There's absolution Uh, at the end of the porn.
10: Exactly, exactly. This wasn't
0: as transgressive or it wasn't a violation in the end, so everybody gets off the hook and you don't have to feel terrible for watching. But her question is a question a lot of people ask. Why is this erotic for me? And my answer, and it echoes yours is always, because it is. And you can right. sit around and try to tease that out. But the best you're going to construct is a narrative, a story for yourself that explains it. I always think of spanking. because You talk to people who are into spanking and you ask them why. And they say, well, I was spanked as a child and I obviously eroticized it. And then you talk to somebody else who's into spanking. They, were, they say, I wasn't spanked as a child, but exactly. I would hear about it and I found it so titillating. So everyone's sort of constructing a story to understand their own turn-ons and kinks. And in the end, it's just a rationalization. It turns you on because it turns you on. Find a guy who's into forced buy, and they're out there, and you've got right. your perfect match, and you can live your pornography.
10: Right. Or a guy who's willing to talk about it while you're in bed. Like, wouldn't it be great if your friend Sam was here, and he was doing such and such, Hot. instead of actually doing it? And, and by the way, this is exactly why I, I wrote uh, I wrote in my blog once, there's no such thing as gay porn. Uh, and of course, I got a lot of crap from that, both from gay people and from straight people. But... Calling it gay porn, you know, assumes that certain images are for gay people or calling it straight porn or calling it bi porn. You know, it's only for bi people. No, no, no. It's porn. It's sexuality. It's eroticism. And any, it's who's it for? It's for anybody for whom it's a turn on. If it's not a turn on for you, it's not for you. If it's a turn on for you, it's for you.
2: Hi, Dan. I'm a 27-year-old bisexual female from Canada. And my question for you is not a problem. It's just a curiosity. So my last five or six male partners have done this thing where when we switch to missionary position, they'll grab my legs and push them up over my head as far as they'll go. So when this happens to me, it kind of feels like my vagina becomes like a 90 degree angle and their cock is going around a corner as they fuck me. Um... Yeah. So the reason I say it's not a problem is if it's uncomfortable or it hurts, um, I totally stand up for myself, uh, get us to change things. You know, I I speak up and we change things around uh, and no one's ever, you know, given me too much of a problem about it uh, or nothing that I couldn't handle. But uh, I'm just curious about this. It happens like all the time within the first like 10 seconds of missionary position. And then like, every time we have sex, starting from the get-go. So, yeah, I was wondering if you could poll your straight male listeners and ask them if this is a mechanical, like, it honest to goodness feels better kind of a thing, or if it's a visual, I've seen it in porn kind of a thing. Um, I think your fan base is a lot more extensive than my pool of sexual partners. So, uh, yeah, I think your data set will be a lot better than mine.
0: Is this porn? Are guys seeing this in porn and then busting this out in sex? I,
10: I think that's true for some people, but, you know, this has been going on since the beginning of time. Uh, you can see Greek pottery uh, or, uh, or ancient Chinese uh, calligraphy where, you know, women's legs are bent all the way back, or Indian uh, erotic art. Um, I, I You know, part of the problem with porn is that some people forget that real sex does not feel like porn looks like. You know, porn looks so perfect. Everything is smooth. It looks like there's no preparation. It looks like no communication is necessary. And everything looks hot, hot, hot. In real life, you need preparation. You need ongoing communication. You need to look in somebody's face and you need to notice are you bending their legs back just a little bit too much? Are you doing this before they're ready? How do they feel about this whole
0: thing? Should porn have some sort of PSA before it, everything we watch, that says that? Because a lot of people are watching porn, and younger people are watching porn, having their first experiences mediated by their devices, and expecting that when they come to partner sex, it's going to be like porn, because that's the sex they've seen. And in a lot of places, that's their sex education. Because we have no good sex education, we don't have... Sex education that acknowledges the existence of porn or its impact, and the people arrive at partnered sex expecting it to be like their sex ed, like the porn they watched in Utah, and it right. ain't. And, right, it, right. I, I, you know, I don't, not to contradict you, but I actually do think that porn can popularize or normalize and create expectations and instill desire that then you're going to have a real problem incorporating into partnered sex if you aren't communicating, if you aren't being realistic, if you aren't adjusting, if you aren't being sensitive to what your partner's needs and turn-ons might be, and negotiating.
10: Well, you're not contradicting me. I mean, I agree with you 100%, and I talk about that in my new book. I mean, if people, if people, when they're 10 years old, uh, are not having conversation conversations with caring, knowledgeable adults about what real sex is like, and if... In a in our culture, there's this exceptionalism around sexuality, which is that the rules about sex need to be different than the rules about everything else that we do. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, when people are confronted with this massive library of sexual behavior uh, or sexual imagery, then, of course, they're going to think, oh, uh, I guess that's what sex is like. So I'm with you 100% that people need to understand that not only... Not only doesn't porn. Not only does does real life sex not look like porn sex. Real life sex doesn't feel like porn sex looks. You know, porn porn sex. There's no sense of uh, inadequacy. There's no sense of I hope we have enough time. There's no sense of gee, um, you know, is this kind of lube really going to work for my partner? So. What I tell my patients and my readers and so on is that you have to look at porn as like a highlights reel or a fantasy reel in the very same way that we look at Star Wars or the very same way that we look at uh, the NBA finals. Porn is unusual bodies in unusual situations doing very unusual things.
0: The title of your book, His Porn, Her Pain, usually that would be a reference to her psychic pain. Like he's watching porn and she's made unhappy
10: about it. In this case, it's
0: his porn, her physical pain, because guys are busting this move that they've seen in porn. How do we control for that? How do we create a narrative and a discussion that – Gets it into guys' heads that you just can't bust every move you've seen in porn because it's kabuki theater sex and it's Star Wars sex. And also empowers people who are having sex with guys and not all those people are women, but empowers people who are having sex to advocate for themselves in the moment to say that hurts or stop without feeling like they're going to ruin the sex. How do we do both those things?
10: Well, if you and I were were going to play golf together, which is kind of funny, but if you and I were going to if you and I were going to play golf together, and I was walking at my normal pace, and I and I noticed that on every single hole you were lagging behind, you were always catching up, you were always huffing and puffing when we got to the hole. I hopefully would turn to you and say, gee, it seems like I'm walking too fast for you, or gee, it seems like you're out of shape and you're walking too damn slow. I mean, we would have a conversation about that. That's normal human behavior. Unfortunately, with uh, a that lot sucks. of the digital communication that people are doing, maybe they're not learning as much about Normal human communication, or what we used to think of as real life, normal human communication. But
0: well, people that that goes back pre-internet pornography. Like people had it in their heads that you shouldn't have to say anything; it should all just happen. It should all just unfold naturally. And if you start communicating once you're having sex, then something's wrong. It
10: ruins the mood. Ruins the the moment.
0: Or you're doing it wrong. Or you feel like you've been you know, you've disappointed them, and so people hesitate to speak out, and sometimes people react badly when they're spoken to
10: during sex. Right. And, you know, people people come to your house for dinner, and you don't know that they like their chicken cooked really well done, and you serve them sort of a medium, and they don't say anything. and you, And if you're not looking at their faces, if you're not noticing that they're not asking for seconds, you know, there are all these perfectly simple communication tools in place, and some people use them and some people don't. Some people use them more than others. And sexuality is just another place where people either are paying attention to the experience of the other person or they're not. Unfortunately, porn really models not paying a whole lot of attention to your partner's experience. And so a lot of people will get into bed like these guys that this caller is talking about. Apparently, they don't notice the little wince on her face when her legs are pushed back too far. Or apparently, they don't notice that she's not volunteering to do that uh, the second time or the third time. Apparently, they don't say to her, wow, isn't this great? Don't you love it? And hopefully, if they did, she would say, actually, not so much. Of course, we have to train women when they're girls that, hey, if something goes on during sex that you don't like, you've got to speak up. But of course, in order to do that, parents would have to acknowledge that their little girls one day are going to have sex.
0: And we have to get guys to be more solicitous. Women are socialized to defer. And a lot of guys out there don't want to be monsters. They don't want to do things that their partner doesn't want to experience. And they don't real, and, and they'll blunder into that because right. they're not inviting input. They're not soliciting input from a, a woman who guys, you know, straight guys. You have to understand that the, the women that you're going to bed with have been socialized to defer to you, and that can fuck everything up. And so you need to be solicitous, and you need to right. overemphasize the solicitousness to control for that, so you don't end up doing things that traumatize that person in a worst case scenario or make that person or make that person never want to see you again.
10: Right. You know, it's interesting in, in foot, in, in, in sports, there's this expression, trash talk. And everybody knows that during sports opponents talk to each other in certain ways to get a certain result. Unfortunately, we don't have a similar expression for the positive kind of talk that people should be doing during sex that includes things like, how do you like this? Isn't this great? Would you like this a little slower? Hey, I'd really like it if you would do that in circles instead of up and down. You know, we don't have a a special word. And as a result, uh, and I think that reflects the idea that a lot of people think once the sex starts, it's like getting on an express train. You know, once the sex starts, the bodies just chug along And the people don't need to do very much in terms of communication or human connection. And what we have to emphasize when we're, when we're teaching kids about sex and teaching young adults about how to have sex with each other is that talking about the experience in real time in the moment is not, not only is it not an intrusion, it's not a side activity. It's an integral part of what's going on and that you do not see that important.
0: The book is His Porn, Her Pain, Confronting America's Porn Panic with Honest Talk About Sex. Thank you so much for talking with us today, Dr. Klein.
10: Thank you, Dan. And by the way, we have a 10% discount for listeners. Am I allowed to say that? Oh,
0: absolutely. Please.
10: Oh, we have a 10% discount for listeners. Just use the discount code H10 if you go to my website, which, of course, is MartyKlein.com. Thank you so much, Dan.
6: Hi, Dan. I. I've been really struggling lately. Um, I am 26 living in New York and, uh, dating someone who's about to turn 60 and, uh, we didn't plan it. I think we've both been a little uncomfortable with the age difference. Uh, it's a big one. He's older than my parents. Um, but he's the most wonderful person I've ever dated. But the, the thing that I'm concerned with right now is that you know, we were spending time around each other, and then all of a sudden, he kissed me, and it was lovely, and then it became much more serious really quickly, and we both really fell for each other, and while all of this is happening, I'm trying to process the fact that I can't really have much of a future with this person, and it all kind of came to a head the other day, and, you know, he he doesn't seem to understand. He thinks I'm afraid of him leaving, or that it was hormones, or that I have fears of intimacy, but really, I'm pretty sure that it's just the fact that I, you know, I'd love to have a lifetime partner. And it makes me sad to see young couples because they can age together, or at least they have the potentiality of that. And I, I won't have that with this person that I love.
0: It sounds like you've done your homework. So I assume you've already Googled life expectancy for men, the age of the dude you're dating. And he can expect to live roughly another 29 years, which means you'll be. 45-ish when he croaks if the actuarial tables nailed it. You could also both die together in a fire in two weeks from now. Who knows? It seems to me that you're not relaxing and enjoying the moment. Your concerns about wanting someone to grow old with and that being something you might want to take into consideration when thinking about making a lifetime commitment are completely and perfectly rational. But even if you game this out to the end of his life, even if he dies at 80 and you're 47, There's nothing to prevent you from forming another bond with another person at that point. You can have a second marriage. You can have a second very important, very committed relationship and grow old with somebody else. You can also calm the fuck down and tell yourself that this is good for now. It'll last as long as it lasts. You also have the option of just chilling the fuck out. Most new relationships don't uh, it's so hard to avoid the language of failure. Most human relationships fail. They don't go the distance. Most last as long as they're going to last. And some last a lifetime. Some will last the rest of his life or the rest of your life. And some last a little while and they're good. And you can be with someone for a while and both of you get out of that relationship alive and be able to look back on it and see that you love that person and they loved you and you still love each other as friends and you both grew and you have this lifelong connection even if you're not going to be in a committed lifelong romantic relationship. And it can have been a success, even if you don't stay together forever. So I wouldn't game out the end right now. Just enjoy what you have with him right now. And if a year from now or two years from now, you decide that he's not right for you and age is part of what makes it not work for you, you can gracefully withdraw Then There may be some other reason that, emerges over the next year or two that shows that you're not compatible and that you're not destined to be together forever. And that reason may have nothing to do with age. It could be something else that indicates that you're not compatible in that way for the long term. Or you could wind up spending 20 years with somebody that you love, somebody who's really good for you, and then be single again in your 40s, which is not a death sentence. Lots of people wind up single again in their 40s, most through a breakup, most because a relationship ends, and then they date again. They find a new partner, somebody who's in their 40s or maybe some nice young dude in his 20s that you can grow up with.
1: Hi, I'm calling with a suggestion for the woman, the lesbian whose partner wants to shower before sex. I have a solution, which is the camper's Burning Man solution, which is uh, baby wipes, get baby wipes that are unscented, keep them by the bed, keep them in your purse or in the car so you can have sex in the car. All you do is a quick wipe. I don't know if the partner is freaked out by her own pussy or the, woman, the pussy of the woman who called or maybe both, but that is a way to clean up if you're concerned, gets quicked out easier by odors or whatever, or just the sense that things aren't completely pristine. So I think that is a solution for them or certainly something that they should investigate.
2: Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to the caller in episode 519, whose mouth got too dry when she was giving oral sex. Um, My tip would be coconut oil. It's um, a nice lube and it's great for the skin and it's a great pairing with cock.
9: She needs to do is eat a
1: half a bag of Skittles uh, before going down on her boyfriend and she'll, um, Find that she will have more than enough saliva to go on. I don't know what it is about skills, but eat a bag and you're basically drooling all over yourself.
9: This is for the lady who uh,
11: is having a problem getting enough spit for uh, her boyfriend's blowjobs. Um, just gag on it. Like, get, get it down there far enough that you gag on it. Number one, they fucking love it when you gag on their dicks. Number two, it turns you into ver- a veritable spit fountain and you will have no problem.
0: And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, please give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Register to vote. The election is coming up. A very important one. We have to keep the orange asshole fascist out of the White House. Go to vote.org for information about registering to vote in the state where you are. Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Dr. Marty Klein on Twitter at Dr. Marty Klein. Speaking of Twitter, kicking pine cones tweets, showing much love for Fake Dan Savage with a Savage Lunch Cast, courtesy of my sister Whitney and the crew at Sweet Pea Cafe in Tallahassee, Florida. The Savage Lunch Cast was a lunch special at the Sweet Pea. Thank you very much, Whitney and crew, for memorializing me. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Rescue and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with another installment of Savage Lovecast.